Well, maybe third time's a charm here tonight, guys. I think the impending weather may have knocked a few of us off anyway. But we're glad to get this, get this in. Thank you to Eddie, if he's still in here. There, He allowed us to postpone his, his start. Next week, next Wednesday night, we'll be back in room 119. And Eddie will be teaching that. Um, and thank you again to Todd for coming in and doing some extra duty for me uh, these last few weeks uh, to present this. I appreciate that. I was asked to announce this, so and I'm, I'm glad to do it. Um, Dr. Michael Behay is a biochemist and a preeminent lecturer on intelligent design and irreducible complexity. He will be speaking Saturday night at 6 o'clock at the college, UCCS. And uh, uh, there, if you need, if there's one or two of you that are interested in going, it's okay if you send your spouse here for the dinner. Uh, the information on his lecture, it's one time Saturday night there at 6 o'clock. So there's that, and so now you know. Uh, I've, I've got one of his books, and he is, he is the leading among the top four or five leading lecturers on intelligent design in the nation. So, can't quite place that tune, uh, but we better get started, hadn't we? So let's do that. <clears throat> Dear Father, we are thankful for the day. Thank you for your blessings. Uh, we're grateful, uh, Father, to know about you through your word, through what you've done for us in Jesus. And we're grateful to know about you by looking at what you've made, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1. So we thank you for this opportunity. Pray that it would be a blessing uh, to those here tonight. And uh, Father, we ask for your leading and your wisdom in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, about 80 slides to cover, so we'll be skipping a good many of them, I'm sure, and uh, we'll just see how quick we can get through whatever we get through. Uh, start off with an announcement about a recent discovery, Eddie, uh, in this area. We're talking about the cavemen, apes and cavemen tonight, and in southern Louisiana, of all places, who would have thought a fossil would be discovered down uh, by Lake Pontchartrain, the New Orleans area, but I'll let you guys see if you can pick out which one you think it might be. So, so there's that. So enough frivolity, Fred. <laughs> Ape to man, what do differences and similarities mean? Well, uh, for example, uh, when we use intelligence, we know that intelligence uh, can design things that look similar for different uses. That's what we do all the time, and we call that intelligent design when we do it. Uh, for some reason, the secular part of the scientific community does not want to think or state that a superior intelligence, a creator, could do the same thing that we do all the time. Uh, there may be similarities in the form, but from the very beginning uh, the blueprint and the purposes are, are vastly different. And uh, 
having similar designs does not mean that uh, does not require that one comes from the other. Uh, you don't have to build a birdhouse first in order to build a doghouse, and and so on and so forth. And so in the in this case, the animal kingdom, similar design does not mean, and as a matter of fact, none of those came from each other. Uh, vastly different gen uh, genetic structures. Uh, so the default, the default position of the secularists is that since there was, is no God and we all came from we don't know what that exploded for we don't know why and we don't know how, but it all happened by chance and formed ultimately a living cell since there is no God, no intelligence behind it, then everything that uh, has come forth had to come forth from those simple beginnings or those several sim simple beginnings. Therefore, all things came from each other. And if you're more complex, you just came from some life form that was less complex before you. Uh, so they maintain the position that similar design does require that a more complex organism comes from another, um, but the proof is not, the, the facts are not there, the, the fossils are not there, and uh, we'll get into this as we go. Um, so <clears throat> here's their position. Is that still on the screen? Yeah. Uh, the theory of organic evolution, and, and again, I want to restate, evolution does occur. Things do change, speciation and adaptation, those things do occur. We used, for example, last week we talked about Darwin's finches. They all have different beaks, the thing is. Uh, so they adapted to their niches, but they're all still finches. They're all still birds. They didn't change into uh, hawks or crows or penguins or anything else. They remained finches with different kinds of beaks. So speciation does occur. But the problem is, the big question is, can you change from one kind of animal into another? So the theory of organic evolution, that is the premise that something blew up. We don't know what it was. We don't know why. We don't know where it was from. It rapidly expanded. More and more matter was created somehow by some process that we don't know. Finally, things started to coalesce, form the earth, many planets, many moons, trillions of stars, and somehow the right chemicals got together and formed a living cell with DNA in it. Incredibly complex, impossible feats to do when you're talking about just rolling the dice and depending on chance to make DNA and to make a cell membrane and to make a nuclear wall and, and on and on and on. Just mathematically impossible. But that's the position. And so from the amoeba, the, the thing, the first uh, mammal that we are able to find is a, was a little two-inch long shrew, a, a small mouse-type critter. And so from that, he's supposed to have given birth to, all, to nearly all the mammals that we see out of the 23 different orders of mammals, all from a, this, I'll just call him a mouse. The problem is it's just, not in the, it's just not in the fossils. It's not in the geology. It's not there. But then that, through many intermediates to an ape, the intermediates are still missing from the ape, the intermediates up to man. So that's what the theory calls for. I want to show you this. 
So there you have a picture of a pterosaur, much bigger than a pterosaur. Actually, these things got to have, they had wingspans of 35 feet, uh, wings of about 15 to 16 feet on either side, and about a foot or two across in the body. These were huge reptiles, pterosaurs. Uh, so here's one with a, a drug uh, cartel uh, guy's uh, aircraft, and there he is. And there's a picture of it, and it's got it stamped on there, U.S. satellite photo. So, you know, we know it has to be true, right? Uh, the point is that we've got to take with a huge grain of salt everything that we see in the media. Anybody can print anything Photoshop anything, draw anything, and put it out there, put a headlight on it, and half of America believes it. <sighs> well, we just need to, we need to be a little more sophisticated than that, and I think this illustrates that pretty well. So one of Fred's favorites, Piltdown Man, discovered in 1912, and the thing about Piltdown Man was that uh, he had a human skull and the jaw, very prominent jaw of an ape. And so this was found over in uh, England in the area of Sussex. Piltdown was the name of the immediate area by a guy named Charles Dawson. And so the name is Dawson's Dawn Man. So there he is uh, working, um, sharpening his spear or whatever. And uh, also something, Fred, that you didn't know. I'm not picking on you, I just like you. But something that you didn't know about Piltdown Man he is famous for the first mullet. And uh, so he is actually the one that started that. I wish you could see that a little better, but it is a mullet. Uh, Piltdown Man. That's how he was drawn in the London, uh, Illustrated London News. And I go back to the pterosaur with the plane in its grasp. You've just got to realize anybody can draw anything before you just say, well, here's the evidence. Uh, so there's how he was presented to the world when he was announced by the British Museum of Natural History. So we remember that. Uh, we don't believe everything that we see. Later, 50 years later, uh, they decided, they, they, found, they looked at the specimen closer and they could see where the teeth were filed to make them more uh, human-like, a little work done on the hinge of the jaw to make it fit in the skull. The bones were stained to make them look older and to match the soils. And they determined that it was a human skull, about 600 years old, and uh, an orangutan jaw that had been put together. So Piltdown Man was exposed as a complete fraud in 1953. For 50 years, he was like the missing link, but then kaput. And so um, that's what happens. Uh, another famous one, uh, Hesperopithecus, which means Western world ape, he was drawn in, uh, from one tooth. And it's interesting to me, the name is Western ape or ape of the Western world, but they drew him to look, that doesn't look like an ape to me. It looks sort of like a, a caveman type guy. And he's out going, uh, he's got the wife's, doing the scrub board thing, and he's going out for the day's meal. Uh, one tooth. So they kept working on the area, 
and determined uh, a few years later, five years later, that uh, the rest of the bones were found and it was an extinct pig. It was not a man at all. It was a pig. So rather than Hesperopithecus, probably should have been named Razorbacchus, but that's all beside the point. Uh, boy, the hogs are really bad. They're just so bad. The worst they've been in my memory right now. But I did digress. Thank you. We're just in a 30-year rebuilding program, but it'll be better. Yeah. A hominoid collarbones exposed. It was first introduced as a hominoid bone, but it was determined to be a dolphin rib. And so Dr. Tim White made this comment about that fiasco. He said, the problem with a lot of anthropologists is they want so much to find a hominid bone that any bone that they find becomes a hominid. That's what they do. Um, and so we jump the gun and we name a new species. We name a new link. We name a new man and uh, get way ahead of ourselves, like with Nebraska man, like with Piltdown man, like with this thing of the collarbone that was actually a dolphin rib. Uh, so you've all, probably most all of you have seen this chart. It was in Time Life, and it was put out by the National Geographic as well, and it occurred all over the place back in the 70s. Do you think they're pitching a certain story there? I do. Uh, they're pitching that we came from those that went before us there. And so a very... Uh, uh, a very aggressive thing about selling this ape-to-man uh, theory. A uh, few problems with it. I mean, it's intentionally misleading. Uh, first of all, the first individuals in the, uh, in the, in the drawing there, their, their estimated time ages overlap. They're contemporaries. They're not sequential. They're not a line of ascent. But they're contemporaries overlapping. Several of them are. Uh, they're drawn incorrectly. They're drawn standing up. That's not how apes get along. That's not how they move about. They can stand up, but that's not their primary way of uh, modality. Uh, and most of these individuals were drawn from just a few bone fragments, like Nebraska man. A few teeth, maybe part of a jawbone, part of a rib, maybe a part of a leg bone. Very little bone evidence to draw these guys from. So uh, it's just not credible on its face. Not until we get to Nebra uh, Neanderthal man do we start to have complete skeletons. And we'll talk about Neanderthal man later on towards the end. But we have a lot of skeletons of him. All the individuals preceding that, not so much. Um, so the first part of the chart, let's look at these first five. It's a group of eight apes. Uh, like I said, estimated ages overlap. They're, they're not in ascent. They're, many, they're overlapping in their estimated time, so they're drawn to mislead you, uh, and they're drawn primarily in an upright position. A better way to depict them would have probably been like this, but that, that wouldn't sell much. That doesn't go to promote an agenda, so that didn't get to, they didn't get uh, drawn the way they were. And... Um, we just are dealing with, uh, in a lot of cases, a very disingenuous, goal, agenda-driven media. Uh, 
uh, secular media to get us here without, without being accountable to anyone, to God. And that's what we're dealing with. All of those have been pretty well thrown out. Uh, the first one was in the given line of ascent, and you can tell that, but they actually drew him the way they should have because that does look like a given. Uh, these other guys you can read there, drawn incorrectly, drawn upright. Uh, they're offshoots now. They're not considered in man's ascent, and the, the one on the far end, the far right, is Ramapithecus is considered now in the orangutan line of uh, ancestry, not the Homo sapiens line. So all of them discarded as links. In the middle of that chart, the, the middle group are the Australopithecines. The name, the word Australopithecus means southern, Australo means southern in the Latin, Pithecus means ape. So anytime you see the term Pithecus in a scientific name, the scientist is, the, they're telling you this is an ape. We know it's an ape. They draw it like a man. They say it's an ancestor to man, but what is it? It's an ape. And so the Australopithecus group, they're apes. Again, not one complete skeleton, and I'd like for you to notice the guy on the far right there, the advanced Australopithecine, which that doesn't mean anything. But they put a, you know, an Australian profile, an Aborigine-type profile on him to make him look more like what they want him to, to be because we're selling something here. We're selling that you came from the apes, and they're showing you how we came about, how this thing gradually morphed. And so you draw it the way you want to draw it. And you put the kind of faces and profiles on something that you want on it. Uh, not, not credible uh, and lacks a bit of integrity. So the Australopithecus group, um, so there's some skulls from them. The one on the far right's a reconstruction, not a complete skull, but you'll notice in that uh, the cranial capacity for the, these guys, 350 to 500 cc's. That's the same capacity of today's gorillas. It's the same brain size, and you can look at the skulls. Or obviously, they are gorillas. Uh, there, are some, there are modern gorillas there on the top, and the Australopithecus group on the bottom, and you see there's very little change whatsoever. The big frontal brow and the sagittal crest, which is primarily in the males, and has to do with supporting jaw muscles. And the whole thing there, the large jawbone, they're apes, they're gorillas. That's all it is. Uh, going back to the artist here, so here's an Australopithecus. They're also called Zenjanthropus, and another name it was Paranthropus. Uh, Australopithecus was drawn back in the 60s and 70s, depending on who wanted it drawn, uh, as these guys were being pushed as links to humans. Uh, here were two of the first representations. So one for the London Sunday Times. You look at that, and that sort of makes sense. It's a, it looks like a, a, some kind of ape, chimp of some sort. The guy on the bottom drawn for National Geographic, they, they decided, we, we want to look. This, this is a missing link. He's got to look the part. So he's drawn, obviously, uh, a very intelligent southern ape, if you will. And, of course, then there's this guy, this third rendering, and I think he's just happy to be included in the discussion because he doesn't fit at all. 
But uh, so you never know what an artist is going to give you. Um, about artist reconstructions, soft features, hair, skin color, hair color, fleshy features, facial features, expression, none of that is determinable by the, by the bones. You can't tell what the soft features are going to look like. You can't tell what color they're going to be. You can't tell how much hair there's going to be. So when the artist goes to work, he or she is free to basically picture, draw, whatever they want. And in this particular case, these skulls came from these individuals, and you would never know from the skull what the flesh, fleshy features or the hair features of those animals were like. Todd, I wonder if we should take down one set of lights if it would help the, help the screen a little bit. Um, yeah, that's better. That's a lot better. Thank you. No snoring. So the point is, when you see an artist's reconstruction, don't think that there's a scientific, uh, rigorous scientific method he or she used to give you that picture in the magazine, to give you that illustration of what that individual looked like, because you can see from these photos, you just can't do it. You just can't do it. It's anybody's guess what the individual actually looked like. So when the guys are drawing a missing link to look like a person, they're really, they're free to, to mold or shape whatever they want to because it's anybody's guess. So the Australopithecus group has been pitched pretty much. The larger ones have been pitched as links. Now, the one on the far left there, Australopithecus africanus, is still mentioned in some discussions as, a, as a being in the link discussion. The other two are totally out. But <clears throat> Africanus has been replaced by Afarensis. So Australopithecus, southern ape, Afarensis from the Afar region in Ethiopia, was discovered by Donald Johansson's team in 1974 as the this is it. We have actually now found a legitimate missing link. And so Lucy, uh, he, the individual was named Lucy because at the time they were uh, talking about the individual and working on it, the Beatles song was playing on someone's cassette recorder and someone said, they're, hey, look, they're playing Lucy in the sky with diamonds. So they named, they named this individual Lucy. That's where they got the name. Um, so uh, there were some of the first drawings right there of what Lucy uh, might have looked like, but that wasn't good enough. And uh, so John Gersh talks about what he, when he was commissioned by National Geographic to make a mold model of Lucy, this is what he came up with. And he said, I wanted to put a soul in that ape-like face. So that was what he was doing. He had an agenda. I've got to make this link more human, so he did that. And so with, particularly with the eyes, uh, just looking right at you there, he tried to inject, let's move away from the chimpanzee. It, it, this animal was a chimpanzee, by the way. Let's move away from the chimpanzee and let's make this individual look more human. So that's what he said he did, and that's, so there, there's the result of it. And others, other folks, as uh, Lucy was drawn and modeled, 
through the years, you can see how they went way past the original there under the skull. They, they all made efforts to let's make this thing some kind of a link because we're, we have an agenda, see? So that's how they depict Lucy. Uh, nobody agrees with anybody because, like we said a few moments ago, you, cannot, you can't tell from the bones what anyone's face actually looked like. And so they can make it any way they want to. So here's Johansson with his skull. Um, and so the brown, the dark parts or parts of bone that were eventually retrieved. I want you to compare that with a modern, with the skull of a modern chimp. About 99.9% .9 identical, I'd say. Lucy, southern ape from the Afar region of Ethiopia, is a chimpanzee, an ancient, a prehistoric chimpanzee, just like today's chimpanzees, essentially no change in the bone structure. Kind after kind, they're not evolving into anything. It's a group of chimpanzees is what they found here, Afarensis. And so here's what he says 35 years later. There were the original bones there on the table in front of him. There he is 35 years later. And he says this, the transition to Homo, Homo being the genus for Homo sapiens, our, the, our group, the human group, ape to human, he says, it continues to be totally confusing. So from 1974 to the possible link as he was uh, putting that out there to now to 2010 where he says, you know what? It's just about totally confusing. We don't know anything. We don't have anything. We have a lot of propaganda. We tell people a lot about this moving from ape to human process. We really don't know anything. It's an agenda. Okay, so 2001, we had a new individual come along. And this was Ardipithecus rabidus cadaba with the blue eyes. Uh, no apes have blue eyes, by the way. None. Uh, that's extreme license when you're trying to do something to sell something that you're going to put on the cover of Time magazine. Let's draw this chimp face and let's give it blue eyes. That's kind of going to that's going to help sell that it's becoming a human. None of them have blue eyes, ever. Meet your newfound ancestor. This is in the article. A chimp-like forest creature that stood up and walked. And so that was considered how apes became human, and that's what the little inset says there. The deal was standing on two legs. If we can get these things up on two legs, they're, they're just well on their way to becoming humans. Now, I'm being a little facetious here, but th there are a lot of things that can stand up on two legs uh, that are not in human ascent. Um, but let's go on. From the article, these are quotes out of the article in Time Magazine, page 56. The remains of what appears the most ancient human ancestor ever found, a chimp-sized creature. 
Artipithecus ramatus cadaba is based on 11 specimens or bones or fragments from a cluster of sites. That's a problem. A cluster of sites. So we got a couple of bones here and about seven or 800 yards over there, someone found a bone fragment. And about a thousand yards over there, someone found a bone fragment. And so we're going to get all those bones that we found in this general area right here and say these are all from the same individual. That's not good science. A cluster of sites, that's, that's a problem. Page 57, researchers, it says, researchers haven't collected enough bones yet to reconstruct with great precision what Kadaba looked like. They haven't recovered enough bones yet to say what Kadaba looked like, but we know enough that we're going to go ahead and put a face on Time Magazine for you of here's what it looked like with blue eyes. So I... I read that part of the article, and I just wonder, what's the face doing on the magazine cover? So it uh, doesn't seem to. The size of Kadaba's brain and proportions of its arms and legs were probably chimp-like as well. I'm starting to see a pattern here. Chimp-like size, chimp-like legs. Kadaba almost certainly walked upright much of the time. The inch-long toe bone makes that clear. Get this, page 56 and page 61. The toe bone was dated a few hundred thousand years younger than the rest of the bones and found 10 miles away. Very good broad jumper. Yeah. Ten miles away. <laughs> and dated to be 600,000 years younger than the rest of the bones they had. The inch-long toe bone that they said, here's proof that this animal stood up and walked. That bone didn't go with the other bones. Ten miles away? 600,000 years younger? It's not the same animal. It's incredible what the secular community goes to to sell America, to sell the world a story to get us here without a divine being. We just got here. And they will go to incredible lengths like taking bones from miles and miles away that aren't within an eon of the age of other bones and putting them all together and saying, this is, here's our animal, Ardipithecus ramatus cadaba. Well, that's just bad science. It's just bad science. Maybe we should have named him Abracadaba. Maybe that would have been more fitting. I don't know, just a guess. 
Here's a good one, National Geographic. Four million year old woman. This, uh, well, it's just propaganda. Let's just go on through this. Fossil apes are now referred to more and more commonly in the last few years as early man or man's ancestor because the theory of getting us here from mice ultimately to chimps to man, that's just assumed to be a fact in the secular world. It's just assumed to be a fact. So they refer to it on the cover of National Geographic as a four million year old woman. Although they're talking about the ground ape, Pithecus, Ardipithecus ramidus, not a woman. Also in the article, they have the bones of the feet right there. And I'll just tell you, that doesn't look like the feet of any woman I've ever seen. But I haven't seen all the women from Texas. <laughs> and you haven't seen all the women from Arkansas. We got maybe some close ones. Woman. Can, I mean, it's so obvious what's being done. I'm just showing you what's being said. This is not to be... Um, when I said two months ago, introducing this class, that there's a war going on against your faith to get us here without God, that is exactly what is happening. And these exaggerations and these kind of pronouncements that you see there are just pictures of that war that's being waged. It's a campaign. So, um, there you go. Now, there's some feet that match. So, that's what Artipithecus ramidus was right there. Even with the feet, you can see that. Other uh, depictions of Artipithecus were put on covers of several different magazines. So, it was four feet tall like a chimp, weighed 65 pounds like a chimp, had a skull like a chimp, walked upright and on all fours like a chimp, had an opposing big toe useful for gripping tree branches, branches like a chimp, and had long fingers and long arms like a chimp. So maybe it was a chimp, not a link. Repinonamus, Giganticus, and Robustus. Now, this is incredible, and this is 2005 in time. As big as a dog could have taken a small dinosaur, our ancient predecessors. And you've got these badgers, prehistoric badgers down there, published in a number of articles. This is an example of total and complete uh, this is not true. <laughs> this has taken the science beyond where the science is. Total speculation and making a claim. Where there is no link 
of the carnivores to the primates. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.